Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Well, hello there and welcome. If this is your very first time to this podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Nurse Mo and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. I am so excited about the topic I am teaching today. We're going to be diving into lumbar punctures. Now, before we do that, I do like to take a quick minute to give a shout out to my listeners. And this one came through on Apple Podcasts. So the name is hard to discern because sometimes it's like their screen name, but I think it's Liv. It might be Liv Howie. It might be Howie. I'm not sure, but you know who you are. So this shout out is for you. And here is what you wrote. This content shouldn't be free because it's just that good. However, I'm so thankful because I'm a broke nursing student. The knowledge, expertise, and wisdom that Nurse Mo provides in this podcast set it apart from every other nursing school resource on the internet. I love being able to find a topic I'm learning about in school currently and listen to one of Nurse Mo's episodes to get a perspective that is different from my professors. My whole apartment complex probably thinks I'm insane from hearing me shout out answers to the pod quizzes, but I don't care. I'm just so thankful this resource is available. Nurse Mo, you rock, sending you lots of love from Mississippi. Well, I am sending lots of love back out to you in Mississippi and wishing you all the very best and sending love out to all of my listeners from all around the world. I'm so, so grateful for each and every one of you. Now let's get into lumbar punctures. So a lumbar puncture, which is sometimes called simply a spinal tap, you might hear your patients referring to it as a spinal tap, is a procedure that involves the insertion of a needle into the space between two lumbar vertebrae. Now this needle, it's a hollow needle, it punctures the dura to enter the subarachnoid space so that the MD or the advanced practice nurse, like a nurse anesthetist, can measure the cerebrospinal pressure and obtain a sample for evaluation. So lumbar punctures are utilized to diagnose a variety of conditions affecting the central nervous system, with meningitis being the most common. Some other conditions include Guillain-Barre, cancers of the spinal cord or brain, and multiple sclerosis. There's quite a few, but those are probably some of the more common ones that you'll see. 
And though lumbar punctures are mainly used as a diagnostic tool, they can be used therapeutically. One great example of that is with chemotherapy. Some types of chemotherapy may be injected right into the spinal fluid via a lumbar puncture. So let's talk very briefly about what cerebrospinal fluid is, or CSF. So CSF is that watery substance that fills that hollow space between the arachnoid membrane and the pia mater in the brain of the spinal cord. It is produced by the choroid plexus in the ventricles. Now, in addition to providing the brain and the spinal cord with nutrients, CSF also acts as a cushion to protect these very delicate structures from injury. So what are some of the normal qualities of CSF? So when we look at CSF, one of the things we look at is the color. In a normal sample, it is clear and colorless. We also may take an opening pressure, or the MD may take an opening pressure. We'll talk about this more in just a moment. Know that a normal opening pressure is generally 10 to 20 centimeters of water. You might see some variability here. That's a general guideline. Glucose is often measured with CSF, and approximately that level should be about 60% of the patient's serum glucose. We also look at protein in the CSF. Normal is about 15 to 45 milligrams per deciliter. Now, this could increase up to about 70 milligrams per deciliter in children and elderly adults. And then white blood cells vary by age. 0 to 30 is kind of normal in that neonate. 0 to 20 in younger children up to about age 5. 0 to 10 for that child 6 to 18. And then in adults, it's more around that 0 to 5 cells per microliter. And then the other component that's commonly looked at is red blood cells. Ideally, there are zero red blood cells in the CSF. So now let's talk about how a lumbar puncture is performed. In a, so a lumbar puncture is performed most of the time with a patient lying on their side with their knees drawn up towards their chest. Sometimes if that position doesn't work, they may sit the patient upright and lean forward, like lean over the overbed table. Basically, you're trying to get some really good outward curvature of that lumbar spine. So we get the patient, they're in their preferred position, and the practitioner is going to numb that area with some lidocaine. Hopefully they do this. Numb that area with some lidocaine, and then they insert a hollow needle into the subarachnoid space between either L2 and 3, between L3 and 4, or between L4 and L5. They're also going to measure the opening pressure. I believe that would probably be done in most cases. So the MD attaches something called a manometer to that hollow needle. And then the cerebrospinal fluid comes out of the patient into that manometer device, and they can measure how much pressure by how far up the manometer the cerebrospinal fluid goes. And higher pressures are associated with conditions like meningitis, cerebral edema, and Guillain-Barre. There are others, but those are a few common ones. 
And so once they have that opening pressure, the practitioner lets the fluid flow from the manometer into the collection vial, and it just flows in under gravity. And then if they need additional CSF, they're going to remove that manometer, and they just let the fluid drain from the patient into the collection tube. They never, they don't let go in and aspirate it out. They just let it drain in. The needle is then removed, and the area is dressed. So pretty straightforward. Next, let's talk about contraindications for a lumbar puncture. So lumbar punctures are typically going to be avoided in cases where the skin at that insertion site has an infection, as this could definitely introduce bacteria into the central nervous system. They are also avoided or used with extreme caution in patients with increased intracranial pressure because this puts them at risk for cerebral herniation. We also are going to be very cautious and maybe avoiding lumbar puncture in patients with bleeding disorders, patients with thrombocytopenia, and patients who are undergoing current anticoagulation therapy, as well as patients with the suspected spinal epidural abscess, because that could be another way to introduce infection into that spinal fluid. So let's talk a little bit about some common complications of lumbar puncture. So the most common complication or adverse effect following a lumbar puncture is a headache, and you'll often hear this called a spinal headache. Though the exact pathophysiology of this headache is not completely understood, it is considered to be due to that CSF leaking into the site where that lumbar puncture was performed. So this temporarily reduces CSF pressure and and CSF volume. And it is thought that this reduces the amount of cushion around the brain and the pain-sensitive meninges. Additionally, it is thought that the decreased CSF volume triggers adenosine receptors that cause cerebral vasodilation. And this vasodilation puts pressure on pain-sensitive structures in the brain. So pretty common to have a spinal headache. In fact, it occurs in about 10 to 30% of patients and is, again, the most common adverse effect. And it could be accompanied by other symptoms, including dizziness, nausea, vomiting, visual changes, neck stiffness, and tinnitus. And in most cases, this headache resolves kind of on its own after 24 to 48 hours, maybe a few days as the body replenishes the CSF volume. Since the headache is worse in an upright position, keeping the patient supine is recommended. In cases where the headache is persistent, the patient may need an epidural blood patch to seal off the puncture site in the dura and prevent more CSF from leaking out. Additionally, about a third of patients experience low back pain for several days after the procedure that may or may not be accompanied by numbness or tingling in the legs. Okay, now let's talk about some of the most serious complications of lumbar puncture. So these include infection, bleeding and spinal hematoma, subdural hematoma, and cerebral herniation. So infection, though not common, it can occur when a strict aseptic technique is not followed. So for example, 
Performing a lumbar puncture through the site of a skin infection could result in bacteria getting introduced into that spinal fluid. Additionally, some studies have shown that post-lumbar puncture infection can result simply from aerosolized secretions from personnel who are present during the procedure who are not wearing a mask. So that's a great reminder why wearing a mask in any procedure area is really, really important. And then there's bleeding. Though it's not very common, bleeding after lumbar puncture can occur and it can create a hematoma that compresses the spinal cord. And this can lead to temporary and even permanent loss of function. The risk is higher in individuals who have a bleeding disorder or thrombocytopenia and in those who receive anticoagulant therapy either right before or right after that procedure. So prior to performing a lumbar puncture if in someone who has maybe an issue with bleeding, the MD is probably going to order some interventions to correct that underlying disorder or that underlying coagulopathy. For example, let's say you've got a patient with thrombocytopenia. Maybe they're going to get some platelets before they get their procedure. Maybe you've got a patient who's on a heparin infusion. The MD is going to write an order to stop the heparin infusion a certain number of hours before the procedure. If the patient's coming in for a planned lumbar puncture and they take warfarin, for example, then they will be advised to stop taking their warfarin for a certain amount of time prior to the procedure. With those oral anticoagulants, you know, that can range from 48 hours to up to seven days. And I believe warfarin is more in that longer range like five to seven days prior. Now, if the patient does develop a spinal hematoma, the treatment is quick surgical intervention to remove the blood and relieve the compression on the spinal cord. Subdural hematoma is another complication, very serious, but thankfully very rare complication after lumbar puncture. If your patient has an unrelenting headache or shows signs of altered level of consciousness or neurological status, always, always report these to the MD as it could be a sign of a serious complication. And then probably the most serious of them all is cerebral herniation. So to avoid this, the MD is probably not going to do a lumbar puncture in someone who has increased ICP where herniation is a risk or in cases of increased ICP related to cerebral edema, obstructive hydrocephalus, or a space-occupying lesion. There, of course, could be others. I'm just telling you a few examples. Again, any change in LOC or deterioration in neurological status warrants an immediate call to the physician. So now that we got this spooky stuff out of the way, let's talk about preparing our patient and being with them through the procedure. So prior to the procedure, the patient may receive some pre-procedure medication to reduce anxiety. And this will be on a case-by-case basis. A lot of times children need something like this. An adult with severe anxiety may need something like this. An adult maybe with dementia who can't really follow instructions very well and doesn't really understand what's going on and why you're putting them in this weird position and why someone poking around on their back may need something for anxiety. The patient may also get analgesics prior to the procedure to help with pain that could occur during the procedure and afterwards. 
So as the nurse, you're also going to be checking that pre-procedure checklist, making sure that the consent form is signed after the practitioner explains the procedure to the patient, validating their last PO intake, and ensuring that they void prior to the procedure. And then you're going to help get the patient into the proper position, which is the lateral recumbent position with the knees drawn up to the chest. Now, not every patient's going to be able to assume this position. In some cases, they may assume a seated position where they're sitting upright and leaning over like an overbed table. The goal is to get an outward curvature as much as you can of that lumbar spine. And then during the procedure, monitor the patient for tolerance to the procedure, any signs of complications such as severe pain, numbness, tingling feeling in the legs, or lightheadedness. And then after the procedure, in addition to monitoring your patient's vital signs, some key assessments and interventions include things like assess for that spinal headache. And if the patient does have a headache, you will be assessing their pain level before and after treatments. Maintain the patient in a flat supine position. The recommendation is one to four hours, and that can vary. And this is done to reduce leakage of CSF at that puncture site. Lying flat also helps relieve the discomfort of a spinal headache, so that's very helpful as well. You want to inspect the injection site for signs of bleeding, any edema, any CSF leakage. Now, because the patient is lying flat, you will simply just log roll them side to side to do that assessment. You want to monitor your patient's neurovascular status by assessing movement and sensation of the lower extremities, assessing for any tingling, numbness, things like that. Monitor your patient's neurological status and immediately report any changes, including changes in level of consciousness. You want to promote hydration or provide IV fluids to reduce the risk of that post-procedural headache and, of course, administer pain medication as needed for headache or backache if the patient has pain in their back. Now, what about teaching? What are you going to teach the patient or the caregiver, maybe it's the parents, about lumbar puncture? One of the things you want to explain is that spinal headaches or that lumbar puncture headache is pretty common and can persist for 24 to 48 hours, maybe even up to a few days after the procedure, and may be exacerbated by being in an upright position. Oral pain relievers like acetaminophen are helpful, so is hydration, caffeine, and simply lying down. You want to teach your patient, if they're taking acetaminophen, to limit that to 3 grams per day in adults and less if the patient has concurrent hepatic or renal impairment. And then, of course, in children, the dose of acetaminophen is going to vary based on the child's weight. So make sure they understand how much, how often, and the maximum amount that they can give their child in a 24-hour period. Teach the patient to avoid aspirin or ibuprofen for pain relief as these can increase the risk of bleeding, and they should avoid soaking the puncture site until the physician clears them to do so because this can introduce bacteria and other pathogens. So this includes no bathing, no getting in the hot tub, no hopping in the swimming pool or swimming in other bodies of water until the physician says it's okay. 
And they should also be instructed to report any concerning symptoms to their healthcare provider immediately. Those include things like drainage at the injection site, an inability to urinate, a persistent headache, persistent back pain, numbness and tingling in the extremities, lightheadedness, nausea, vomiting, visual changes, alterations in level of consciousness, and changes in neurological status. So now let's do a little bit of pod quizzing just to check your understanding of a few very key things about lumbar puncture. What I'll do is ask a question, pause for a moment to give you time to answer, and then tell you the answer. So pod quiz question number one, what is the most common condition that you'll see a lumbar puncture used to diagnose? That would be meningitis. Very good. And when we're looking at a CSF sample, what do we expect to see in regards to the color of that sample? Yes, it should be clear and colorless. And then what about red blood cells? What do we expect to see in a normal sample? A normal sample should have no blood in it. Very, very good. What is the device that the MD will use to measure that CSF opening pressure? That is a manometer. Very good. You've got a patient who's showing signs of meningitis, let's say, and they're also on a heparin drip. Can they get a spinal puncture? Can they get a lumbar puncture? They probably can, but what needs to happen first is that that heparin drip will have to be stopped for a certain amount of time prior to the procedure. What is the most common complication or adverse effect after a lumbar puncture? That is a post-procedural headache, sometimes called a lumbar puncture headache or spinal headache. And what is the key intervention for that spinal headache? We're going to keep that patient in that supine position. Some other things you may have said are hydration, caffeine, and supplying analgesics such as acetaminophen. What might the patient need if they have a spinal headache that's just not going away? The patient may have a continued CSF leak, so they may need an epidural blood patch. What very, very serious complication can occur in a patient after a lumbar puncture if they have a bleeding disorder or medically induced coagulopathy? a spinal hematoma that can cause permanent paralysis. How do you position the patient for a lumbar puncture? So 
So we're going to position the patient either lying on their side with their knees drawn up or sitting upright, kind of leaning forward, leaning over something so that we can push that lumbar spine outward. Very, very good. So I hope that you enjoyed that little pod quiz. If you like pod quizzing, if you were like, wow, that was really cool. That was a great way to check my understanding and recall of information. Then you should check out Study Sesh. It's an entire whole series of lessons that are 100% mostly just pod quizzes. So pod quizzes are a great way to study without having to sit and stare at your computer, which I'm a big fan of, and just kind of practice answering questions when you don't have multiple choice or options right in front of you. So I'll put a link to study sesh in the show notes. You can also just go to the straightanursingstudent.com website and click on courses in that top menu bar. So I hope you enjoyed this overview of lumbar puncture and found it helpful. And if you did, I'd love if you follow the show. I'd love if you rate and review and share it with a friend. And even more than that, I'd love to have you back here for the next episode coming up next week. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 